listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Well, we're in Luke chapter 22. Are you glad to hear today? Are you? Have you had fun already? Could we just stop and go home and feel like that we've come and we've been refreshed and encouraged? No, that's right, Brenda. She was shaking her head and said, no, we got to hear from Luke because we've been in this for way too long. We've been in Luke now for many, many months, and we're just, we've got to know what happens next. And so that's what we're going to continue to do. But before we do that, Chad, thank you so much for reading our scripture. I just want to kind of just, I just need to say this. It is, is anybody disappointed that we had a president in our history who stood up and made a proclamation about something that, that, that everyone should have been on the same page about, but unfortunately they weren't. When he proclaimed that the slavery of human beings was inconsistent with who we are as a nation. Is anybody, is anybody upset that that happened years and years ago? That, that, that something that was a wrong in our national fabric was declared as such and therefore pointing us in a more correct. I, I don't find anyone, and, and, and I'm thankful for my brother who, uh, who he and I conversed about this last night. He brought that analogy, and I said, you know what? I've never heard anyone complain, although I'm sure there were those at the time, many in fact, who were complaining about a declaration of something that was correct. This Friday... We had a very similar event happen in our nation. I know that it is messy being a Christian in a free country where you're asked to participate in the political process. It is very, very messy. And, and far too many Christians in America have allowed Jesus to be draped in red, white, and blue. Can I tell you, Jesus don't drape in colors of national, nationalities and, and countries of origin. You realize that, don't you? Olympics come around, Jesus ain't cheering for the United States, right? You get that, right? But there are times when I think we just need to step back and say, um, can we not rejoice? When a sliver of righteousness is seen. And, and I realize that, uh, that the battle against murder. I don't know how that sits with you that I say that. But I can just tell you, if, if you follow God's word, th- there's not another conclusion that you can come to. To end a life for convenience sake is murder. I say that with love, but I don't shy away from saying that. That is offensive to many in our world. Unfortunately, that's offensive to many who claim the name of Christ. I don't get it, but I press on at any rate. 
Let me read to you what our doctrinal statement says. In our, what we call it, our statement of faith and position. It's online. Anybody can read it if you'd like to have a copy of it. We'd love for you to. We give them out for free when folks inquire about being a covenant partner. I'm just going to leave that there, okay? So I'm just going to let you hang there. Here's what it says. In the area of abortion, we as a church believe that life begins at conception. And the unborn child is a living human being. We believe that abortion is never an exceptional option. We recognize that many women have been affected by abortion. And we are committed to walking with them in love towards healing that is in fact available through Christ. We can, at the same time, call abortion what it is. And in the same paragraph, recognize that it is, and celebrate that it is not a sin that is... um, Outside of God's redemption and forgiveness and restoration. But that's who we are. That's where we stand. And that's where we're going to be. And for that, I am thankful that something I never thought would happen happened on Friday. I never in my life believed that we would see the overturn of a of a bad law. Uh, Not only is it morally contrary to the Word of God, but it was just not procedurally correct. It It was not a right thing that made it right. And so for that, I say, praise God. That is not over in our nation. We still have a responsibility to present Christ. And all that he has to offer, love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, healing, direction, peace, confidence in crisis. And then as a body, we need to be prepared to come around and walk with those that have questions and, and, uh, and still wrestle in this arena. So, praise God for all that he has done. Today we're going to look at those few insights that we can glean from Luke's account of the upper room. I started looking at all four Gospels, and I noticed that Matthew had the fewest number of verses that are connected to the upper room. And and then Mark had like one more verse. And then you look at Luke, and, and, and his was about double. You read over in John, and depending on where you stop, whether you think Jesus' words stopped uh, at the halfway point or all the way to chapter 17, you've got like three times as many. There was a lot more that John recorded in these upper room educational opportunities, these insights that God gave his disciples. But we're going to look at those things that transpired in the upper room. You'll recall last week, We saw all kinds of plans happening. Plans to put Jesus to death. 
plans to betray Jesus to those who wanted to put him to death. But all the while, Jesus making and, and, and working out plans to continue ministering to those whose worlds are going to be turned even more upside down than they already are. Jesus, knowing what was happening in the background and settled in the fact that all of those things, though not the the finger of God in the hearts of those people, they were plans that were happening within the sovereignty of God. All happening according to the redemptive plan that would place Jesus on a cross in our place and for our sin. Jesus, knowing all that was against him, focused on those he was most intimately connected to and determined that he was going to continue to minister to them. As the hour approached. We see Jesus send his disciples to prepare the upper room. Which interestingly enough he had already made previous plans to have ready. And now we discover in verse number 14. That the hour had come. The hour has come. And they're all reclining at the table. They're all sitting and and expecting to celebrate the Passover which was the yearly feast to remind the people according to the law, Exodus and and, and then again in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God prescribed the Passover as an annual festival for the purpose of reminding God's people of his delivery of of the nation out of the hand of Egypt, but also looking forward to a deliverance that was still yet to come under Messiah. They did it every year. They celebrated Passover in the same way every year according to the law prescribed. And now they're celebrating it. And Jesus, interestingly enough, says, and, and I just have been so eager to have this celebration with you. You ever been excited about an opportunity to be with folks? Have you ever looked forward to being around people? I I hope that that's your experience when the holidays come around. I hope that's your desire where you just really look forward. Or like we do every year about this time, we look forward to making our northern trip up to our home our homestead where, where we get to be with family. We get, we get eager about being with people that we love, especially around special occasions. And, and, and this was a special occasion, no doubt. And Jesus had spent at least two other Passovers with them. And now he says, I've been so eager to celebrate this one with you. I don't know about you, but as I also am, am excited about being with those I love, when I know there's something coming that, that I'm not so much looking forward to, that's not a time I'm ready to be around people. I mean, I'm, I'm anxious, I'm nervous, I'm not myself because there's just big things coming and, and you know, I can kind of let that sort of overshadow and then I'm no fun to be around. But, but Jesus has intended to be delighted about this because for the very first time, Jesus is going to be able to explain to his disciples the thing that everybody's been missing. For centuries, everyone has been missing, celebrating a lamb that was, that was killed in order to bring deliverance and then looking forward to a, a, a Messiah who was going to empower an authority 
overthrow and deliver. And Jesus is about to explain to them. He's about to open their minds and eyes to what's been hidden in the Passover celebration for centuries. He's going to introduce something new to them, but it's always been there. It's going to be birthed, if you will. In this, and, and he's like a teacher that's so excited to pull the curtain back to let somebody see what's always been there. And it's just been waiting on the time, and the time is now. And Jesus, reclining at the table, begins to take elements of the supper and redefine them. Not take away from their meaning, but redefine and add to the aspects of the elements so that they may begin to understand and then moving forward as often as they celebrate this that's new. They'll be able to understand how it was connected to everything behind and has provided what is now and then moves them forward and gives them their marching orders. It says that Jesus took the cup as he normally would in the celebration of Passover And he hands it to his disciples and he says, I'm not going to drink this anymore. Any more of the fruit of the vine. This is the last time until I celebrate it with you in the kingdom. So the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is coming. We are going to celebrate with him. Okay, their minds are, are refocused now on what they expect to be in the next few hours. And then Jesus takes the bread. And he breaks it. The bread representing his body. It was free of at least metaphorical corruption. What was unique about the bread? It was unleavened. Now there wasn't anything in particular sinful about leaven. All of the rest of the year at all of the other times they could, they could eat the bread that had the yeast in it. It's good. I mean that's a good thing to have in your bread because it makes it fluffy. It makes it yummy. But it was used leaven as a type of corruption. So when they would celebrate the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were required to remove all the yeast from the home, to remove all of the aspects of corruption so that they might partake in something that was figuratively uncorrupt or pure. The bread was free of leaven. It was free of figurative corruption. The bread was going to be broken and torn from itself And it was going to be given freely to all those around the table as an opportunity for them to receive and partake. Not all that out of the ordinary, except this time Jesus says, this bread is a representation of my body that's broken for you. Not the body of a, of a, of a lamb that we will pick from the herd and observe for a few days before we slaughter and, and pour the blood out and roast and celebration remembering. No. This bread represents my body that is yet to be, but will very soon be broken for you. Like the lamb, but better than any physical animal ever could have been the lamb of god john says who takes away the sin of the world look there he is this is my body confused no doubt they took and they ate 
Then he took the cup. And he held it to them. He says, boys, this, this cup, this wine, it's a representation of my blood. A blood that's going to initiate and ratify the new covenant. As soon as he said those two words, new covenant, their ears would prick up and it would run all the way to the Jeremiah scroll where Jeremiah would repeat the words of God to his people when God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with Israel and with Judah. This covenant is going to do what the covenant I made with Moses was incapable of doing. This covenant is going to bring them in right relationship with me because of forgiveness of sins. I'm going to write my law not on tablets for them to see and memorize. I'm going to write my word on their hearts. They truly will be my people and I will be in a very real and connected sense their God this new covenant when is this going to happen well certainly when Messiah comes he's going to initiate this connection he's going to bring with him forgiveness of sin and Jesus says this wine is a representative of my blood that's about to nullify all that old covenant and bring about the new And they're scratching their heads and they're taking it and they're drinking it and they're passing it around. And Jesus is saying, as often as you do this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Okay. You ever tried to explain something to someone about an experience that they're going to have? You've been somewhere before, and and, and someone that you know is now going to go there, and you're going to try to explain to them how they're going to enjoy this or that, and and they're looking at you with confusion, because you know exactly what you're talking about. You know exactly what it's going to be like, but they've not been there yet. They've not seen it. They've not heard it. They've not felt it. And at times you just have to go, trust me, you'll understand when you get there. That confused look that I'm sure they had as they're passing it around. Okay, kingdom, but broken and blood. And and as often as we do this, how often are we supposed to do this? And and where are we going to be when we do this? And Jesus is like, you'll get it when you get it. And in fact, they did get it when they got it and we've been getting it ever since and in fact we're gonna get it today if I get done in time where they remembered the body and the blood Jesus taking a great reminder of deliverance and bringing to them something far better the remembrance of deliverance past But the revelation of deliverance that's here and the opportunity to then remember as often as they do. You know, one day Jesus says right here in this passage that we're going to enjoy communion with our Savior and King. Can, can I just tell you that on that day, I don't think we'll have the little cup packs with the little nasty bread. I don't think that's what will be used I think it'll be awesome 
it's going to be wonderful. That's not. It's just convenient without a lot of germs being passed around. But when we're in that, he says, I'm going to celebrate this with you in the kingdom when all is fulfilled. And we're looking forward to that day. So when we take these elements, we will take them remembering what Christ has done for us, but in looking forward to his return that is certain and the opportunity that we'll have to see him in all his glory and remember and celebrate him in his kingdom. We see a better reminder. These upper room insights. I got something better for you. And you're going to continue to do this into the future. Second, I see these insights show us a, a kingdom greatness that is, that is defined. So they got their minds on the kingdom, right? And you know what boys do when they get together? They argue. Boys argue. I guess girls argue too, but, but boys just, they, they endlessly argue. Y'all fuss and y'all are mean girls. But guys just, they just, just, they just got to argue. And as boys do... These disciples were arguing, this kingdom is coming, and, and, and we're going to celebrate with, with our Messiah, and, and he's going to enjoy these things with us. And they're looking around going, who do you think's going to be in the places of honor in his kingdom? I mean, well, obviously, we're the ones that he chose above everybody else. We're here, nobody else is. So how do you think it's going to break down? And I'm just imagining Peter doing what Peter does, sitting over in the corner, you know. He's just, he's watching, he's listening. And then when everybody said what they've said, he goes, y'all done? We all know who the place of honor is going to be. It's me, boys, because I can whip all of y'all and I can show y'all. And they start this boy argument. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to have the place of honor? Who's going to be the most respected in Messiah's kingdom? And Jesus, in grace and mercy... I think probably laughing at the funny things they were saying. Let the argument die down. And then he says, you guys obviously don't understand how God defines greatness. Let me give you an illustration Jesus says. In this earth, in the kingdoms of this world, who, who are the greatest? Who, who receives the most honor? Well, obviously, the, 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 the answer would be those in authorities, the kings and their delegates and the governors and those that are in the highest places of authority. And Jesus says, exactly. And, and, and what do they do in their role as leaders? Jesus says they lord it over their subjects. What does that mean? It means they demand subjection. I mean, it's, it's not like they, they are working hard to, to have their subjects appreciate them. No, they could just demand it. Why? Because they're the rulers. Just as in this world, those that are the greatest in our world, they demand subjection. And then we turn right around and call them the friend of the people. We call them the benefactors because they provide for us. Well, forget that they're taking all the taxes that they're taking from us and all that they're demanding from us to turn around and use it for us. Are they really our friends or are they just in power? Jesus says, the rulers of this world, the greatness in this world lords it over you. And then they're the ones that are served. I'm going to tell you that greatness 
And the economy of God is not on the basis of who's at the top, but on who decides to be at the bottom. You see, what Jesus did in setting aside his glory, whatever it meant that he emptied himself in order to take on flesh and step out of glory, not considering it something to grasp hold to, but taking on the form of humanity, he became willingly a servant. That's exactly what Jesus says. He says, I've been with you. I I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. If you read in John's gospel in chapter number 13, you'll discover that right about this time, Jesus takes a towel and wraps it around himself, taking on the duty of the lowest house slave at the time and begins to wash the dirty feet of his disciples. Jesus says, you want to be great in in my kingdom? You want to be great in the kingdom of God, gentlemen? Be the first in line to serve everyone else. Look for an opportunity to be last in line. You take a couple teenagers and they're going to ride in the same car. They walk out of the door. They know they're not driving. So what seat do you think they want if they're not driving? They want the shotgun that's what they're going out the door like they're hurting one another to be out the door first in order to scream shotgun like that matters at all right i mean the biggest brother is gonna get shotgun if he won't shotgun right you say what you want i'm gonna take so we get it jesus says no what, what you need to be doing is following my example if you think about it who is Jesus? He's the God-man. How, how long has, the, has, has God-man been in existence? Well, well, God the Son is eternal. In fact, we learn through the New Testament that He's the one that spoke all things into existence. He, I think it would be fair to say, is a pretty big deal. Yet He willingly took on the form of a servant. He humbly embraced meekness and he served the lowest of the low. I'm going to argue that he in this very room honored the one who would ultimately betray him. Jesus says, you want to be great? Well, greatness in the kingdom of God is defined by humble service exemplified by me so you just keep following my example and you'll arrive at greatness and he even tells them you guys have been following faithfully and and as you continue to follow me trust me you're going to be rewarded and I think that specifically these thrones and and leading the people of Israel yeah I think that was designated to these guys because of the unique place that they had but but there's so much in the scripture that talks about reward for faithfulness you, you, you want Christ to be pleased with your service when you stand before him, then don't forget about the service part. Humble yourself. Follow his example. Look to be last. Because that's the way to the front. So we see a better reminder, a 
kingdom definition of greatness. And then he turns and looks at, at, at Peter, Simon particularly. And he, he tells, I think, because he's kind of their spokesman. He, he's the one who confessed Jesus as the Christ not too long ago. And they all look to Peter. They get it. He's a dominant figure. God, God, he, he gifted Peter with the things that he gifted him with. It's got some stuff on the back end of this, not always so great. But he's still, he's got those leadership qualities. Jesus looks at Peter and he goes, Simon, Simon, I need to tell you something. Satan is desiring to sift you. Verse number 21. But interesting in this verse the you that Satan is desiring to shift is plural. So it seems as though what Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, Satan is demanding to sift y'all. There are things coming up, and I think in similar fashion that the enemy stood before God's throne, and God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Satan says, yeah, I've considered him before, but you got this wall built around him. I can't get to him. Oh, he looks great and all, but you pull that wall down. You let me get to him, God, I'll show you what he's made of. You know what God says? Well, go on then. I mean, do you think it's possible that sometimes in our life we might experience difficulties that we're complaining to God about, how could you do this to me? And God's like, look, all I'm doing is letting him work you out a little bit so that I can show him whose you really are. In that respect, you might go, oh, well, well, all right then. Peter, Satan wants to sift you. But I've prayed for you. Now, if we stopped right there, we might think that what Jesus was saying is, Satan wants to sift you. Hey, Peter, it's all good, though. I done prayed for you. Is anybody going to get their prayer answered sooner than Jesus God himself? Of course not. But find it interesting that Jesus didn't pray that he would not be sifted. In fact, Jesus didn't even pray that he would not fall in the sifting. Jesus says, I'm praying for you, Peter. So that when you do fail, and it's going to be big, my prayer is that your faith won't fail. Your faith in me will remain intact so that you can get up and respond to my invitation to come home. Because when you do, you are going to be far more equipped to encourage these brothers who are going to fall away too. But my prayer, Peter, look, it's coming. And it's going to be big. It's going to be bad. But my prayer is that you'll get up and that you'll come to me. And out of your failure, that you'll stand up And know exactly what you need to do. And that is rely completely and wholly on me. And Peter should have said, Amen, Lord. Whatever you say. But he don't. (laughs) Peter goes, 
What? <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Let's go right now, man. I, look, we going to jail? I'm going to jail. We're going to die? I'm going to die. I am with you. Fail you? Not in your life. Jesus says, Less than 24 hours, son. You'll deny you even know me. Room gets quiet at that point, I think. Jesus intercedes for those he loves. Romans 8.34, Hebrews 7.25 tells us that our, our Savior still intercedes on behalf of your life and mine. How cool is it knowing that God the Son prays for you? It's, it's common for me to get requests for folks will say, and, and again, I don't want you to stop sending me your prayer requests. Keep sending me your prayer requests so that I can get it out to everybody else. But I, it's, it's interesting, in the years that I've served in this role, how many times that I've had folks that, that have said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. Like, somehow I have a quicker connection. Like, I got frontier to their dial-up to God. It, it, you know, it doesn't work that way. You know, I, I don't have a bat line, a bat phone. I, I don't have that. I'm just, I'm just some dude like y'all that doesn't mind standing up talking about God's Word, okay? But keep sending me your prayer requests. That way I can send it out to everybody else. But when God prays for you, now that, do you think that ever gets any kind of delay or busy signal? It's just boom. But you know what he tells us? I'm not always going to pray that God will relieve you from difficulty. Sometimes difficulty is going to come in really big ways. And sometimes that difficulty, you're, I even know that you're going to fall victim to the lies of the enemy and you're going to make a royal mess. But listen to this. God is the master of cleanup on aisle five clean up in your life you know what he's able to do if in repentance and humility and brokenness you're willing to come to him and confess your sin god almighty will take your mess he won't undo it he'll just refashion it in a way that can bring him glory, and he's the only one who can do that, but he'll do it every time. That's encouraging. Peter, you're going to mess up. But I'm praying that when you get up, you'll find your way back to me. I'll restore you, and you'll be better equipped to understand how to do what I'm going to ask you to do. We have a Savior who intercedes. And then lastly, the hardest one of the paragraphs to understand, and I'm just going to tell you up front, I don't like this paragraph. It's too squirrely for me. But we're going to dig in anyway. Verse 35, he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nope, nothing. 
You sent us out two at a time. You said don't take money, don't take clothes, don't take food. Don't worry about anything. When you show up in town, let those who are going to show you hospitality show it to you. Don't be looking for a better place. Stay where the door is open. Stay there as long as it's open. And if you get rejected, just dust your feet off, keep moving, and you proclaim that the kingdom of God is ready to be revealed. Okay, so on faith, they left and and found it just exactly like Jesus said they would find it. Open doors, open opportunities, didn't need anything, were cared for, were protected, were welcomed but rejected. But that's okay, they all made it back in one piece. But things are about to change in their world. Things are about to change for this very popular, very, very... society-friendly rabbi. Things are about to change. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he quotes from Isaiah 53 verse number 12, I believe. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus says, because what's written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, well, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he goes, yeah, 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 it's enough. Enough enough about the swords. You're missing my point. So what is this talking about? This respected and much beloved rabbi on the scene who had been welcomed with palm branches and, and hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is about to be arrested and charged as a criminal against not only Israel, but Rome. His reputation is about to have a total about face. Jesus says, the hospitality that you've been, you've been getting because of your connection with me is now going to become a connection to someone who's been arrested, who's been charged, who's now been brought before the crowds on charges of heresy and treason. Things are about to change for you boys. Things are about to change drastically and it's going to have a big effect on you. So, moving forward, don't expect everywhere you go to be welcomed in. Expect where you go that you're going to need to pay up because, yeah, you're one of Jesus' people. Yeah, I'm trying to stay away from that. You're not going to experience the hospitality you've had. You're probably going to need to take a change of clothes because you, you might need to provide for an opportunity once you get dirty because you got pushed down and kicked out of town. You're probably going to need a change of clothes. So make sure that you get your, your money bag. Make sure that you get your, your backpack. But then he says this weird thing about a sword. Now, this sword that he's talking about is not like William Wallace. Now, you know, it's not like Conan the Barbarian sword type thing. The sword that he's talking about is more like a short dagger. Like a little thing that you might have on your belt. You know, you're, you're not charging the enemy with this thing, but it would be helpful, you know, if you get in a pinch and you're in mortal danger. I think that this can be understood in one of two ways, either metaphorically or literally. 
Either a figurative sword or a literal sword. Here's my problem with the, you know, who says, Jesus is not talking about a real sword. No, no. no Jesus is not about swords. Remember what's going to happen. At, yeah, I get it. The problem with it being a meta- metaphorical sword is that also is the money bag and the knapsack metaphorical. Because it sure sounded like he was saying actually take a, ma- a knapsack and a money bag. Well, he's talking about real things there. He's not going to turn around and go, and no, I'm talking, talking about a, a, a pretend sword. You know, met, no, I think it's literal. I think Jesus is saying, you're going to find yourself in mortal danger at times. I think he's probably referring to self-defense here. I think he's referring to you're going to be going some places where it's going to be wise that you have a little bit of protection for your life. Now, is God deciding he's not going to protect them anymore? No. But can I give you a little bit of an example? A few years back, we went to uh, the Dominican Republic. Several of us went down, got on a pink bus, and we was riding around, and it was great. Didn't none of us think anything about nothing. We was having fun and ministry and seeing stuff. But behind us was another vehicle. And in that other vehicle were two Dominican nationals who were armed for bear. We didn't have it, but they sure did. And when we stopped at a place, we didn't just run off the bus. We stopped. They parked. Our our friends come along the side and stood on the sidewalk just looking around. I think everybody in the DR knew what them boys were doing. They were watching this bus. They were wondering about these idiot Americans that were going to get off thinking they were still in America. But they knew what those two fellas were there for. And they probably saved us a lot of trouble. When they started counting up amongst the 11 of them that was still around, they go, well, we got... We got two swords. Jesus, how much we going to need? Jesus, like, no, you're missing the point. Everybody doesn't need to, to go packing. We're not ministry by force, although the Crusades tried that. didn't work real good. In fact, it was heinous and a stench in God's nostrils. But nevertheless, she's like, I'm just telling you, what you've enjoyed on the first half of this ministry, it's all changing. Things are going to be dangerous, and you're probably going to want to have one or two of y'all that just has the means to protect you in case you guys get in a a pinch. But understand this. The advance of the kingdom is not ever going to be by dominance or aggression. When Peter pulls out his sword to try to keep from having Jesus arrested, what does Jesus say? Wrong use, wrong use. That's not what that's for. You can't stop what's in play. You don't, you don't push the gospel forward by force. You bring the love of God and you accept the consequences. So we're going to leave it there. Pastor Kevin, you think that God is in favor of self-defense? Yeah. But I don't think we ought to make guns our, our security. You know what I mean? I, 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 I think we'd be wise and protect our family, but at the same time go, you know what, God's in control, and I'm going to do everything I can not to pull that trigger. Boy, I don't, I don't want to have to do that. That makes sense? But be prepared, because things are going to change. You go out this week talking about 
the truth of God in the realm of social issues that have us divided, you know what you're going to receive? A lot of pushback. And no matter how much love you try to say things with, there's a group that has already redefined love. Redefined love says if you don't say what we say, then you don't love. It doesn't matter what true love is. If you don't agree with me, you don't love. You hate. And you know what we got to do? Okay. Still love you though. And I'm going to show you with my actions. And I'm going to demonstrate it over and over again. Bottom line, God still protects. God still provides. God still leads. So what did Jesus show us? In the upper room, we see a better reminder. We see kingdom greatness defined. We see a Savior who intercedes on our behalf. And we see him preparing them for the changes that are to come. Two points of application. Two points. Number one. Jesus calls every disciple. Let me ask you this question. Are you today, right now, a follower of Jesus by faith? Yes. Okay. If you're not, I got great news. You can be. This is by faith alone and what Christ has done for you, his death and resurrection as the only means of redemption and salvation. You can, by faith, become a follower of Jesus. But if you are a follower of Jesus, he's called every last one of us to greatness. And that looks like humble service. How are you serving the lowest, those in need? How are you taking the last place in line? Can I show you a document that's on that board and that board on the way out? It's called Project or Mission 122448. It'll give you a plan for making service an intentional part of your life. And on the back... It's like this great little cheat sheet. It will show you places that we're already partnering with that would love to talk to you about serving with them. God's called us all to greatness. It's not going to be by how much Bible you know. It's not going to be by how good you are, but it's going to be defined by your service. Where are you serving? Let us help you get connected in service. And then the last, your greatest failures can lead to a stronger faith if you will respond correctly to them. Your greatest failures can be the launch pad to a stronger faith if you're willing to own your failure call it what it is call it the sin that it is own it confess it and then allow God to refashion it as a part of your life that can now make you more qualified to minister to others and give you a stronger faith if you will or you can waller in the failure and stay defeated and that's not what, at all what God wants us to do. Make sense? Very cool. Let's stand together. Austin, if you'll grab that one, pass it out amongst. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know Jesus by faith, then you can take one of these elements. Uh, Owen, how about come here? You, you and Zach, y'all come pass these out. Chad, you mind? Right there. If you know Jesus as Savior, 
Thanks, bro. If you're a follower of his by faith, and you can grab one of these silly little irreverent little things that I don't like, but I get. You might want to shake it up a little bit if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, what this is, is the 2022 version of what Jesus gave his disciples to do. To take the bread and to remember his body that's broken. To take the the, the cup and remember his blood that was shed. In remembrance of the past event, yes, but in a reminder that this ain't the one we want. We want that one with him when he returns. And in between this and that, we want to be faithful, humble servants who are going to fail and get up by God's grace and keep following him. That makes sense? So you're going to want, I heard y'all pulling these things. Some of you done got in trouble already. (laughs) You pull the little top one, the little bitty one off first, and that will expose the bread. If you've already pulled that other one, I just don't know. Be careful. (laughs) And that we got this little little circle but as a reminder of the body broken in your place for your sin but never needing another sacrifice ever because what he done is complete we take and we remember his body broken take eat in remembrance and then you can pull back the little other little flap. And in the same way, he took the cup. My blood is shed. Willingly. It's to be received by faith. Believing. Not only did he die for us. That he rose from the dead victorious. By his stripes. We're healed. And we're thankful as we remember the blood that was shed. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the privilege that we have of worshiping together. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our dedication. You are absolutely worthy of our service. God, we are selfish. We want our own way. We we, we want to be Christians with a whole lot of America. God, God, we... we, uh, We don't want our lives to be hard. We want them to be easy. We don't want anybody ever telling us what to do. And we're thankful that we live in a place that, generally speaking, allows us those freedoms. But bigger than that, God, we are in great need of your grace every day. We are in great need of your wisdom, your direction. 
so that you might lead us into the service that you've called us to. God, I pray today for the one who still needs to connect somehow in intentional service. God, maybe they know where that that is and and needs to be, and I pray that you'll give them the courage to take that step today. And, And if they don't, God, lead them to just ask how we can help them discover ways that they can run to the end of the line and represent you in the lives of others. God, I pray for that one that has failed miserably. That's every last one of us. But there's got to be somebody in here today that's living under the weight of their failure. May they hear today that you will forgive, you will restore, and you will launch them into more service. They'll simply just get up, come to you own their sin, turn from it, and begin to follow. God, I pray that you'll help us to see those failures as opportunity to give you glory. We thank you for your great love. Now, God, there's opportunities out there that you've prepared us for. We're going to experience even today. We ask that you'll give us the ability to see them and to respond obediently so that you might be glorified in the things we do and say. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said.